so good to be with you here this morning. Your brothers and sisters at Good Hope uh, give you their greetings as well. Uh, we're so thankful that your congregation has navigated uh, what was a, a trying time and now are turning the page on that chapter in your congregation's history and into a new chapter. Um, Kyrie eleison. In Latin it means, Lord have mercy. And that's the title for the sermon today. Those of us of a certain age will remember a song that went, Kyrie eleison, down the road I must travel. Kyrie eleison, through the darkness of the night. Kyrie eleison, where I'm going, you will follow. Kyrie eleison, on the highway in the, in the night. It's a song by Mr. Mister. And the songwriter, though not a Christian, remembered going to Catholic Mass as a child and wrote the song as a prayer of God's blessing upon his life. Whether Christian or not, people from all walks of life wish for God's blessing on their lives. We hope that God will answer our prayers. For Christians, we know that this hope is a reality. God does indeed hear our prayers. We have a relationship with the Lord that is so close, so intimate, that He hears and even answers our prayers. We know that when we pray, we have a direct line of communication to the Lord up in heaven. None of our prayers bounce off the ceiling of heaven, but the Lord Almighty hears what we have to say. For Christian, intimate, unshakable relationship with the Lord is focused through the Lord. Later on in the service, we will celebrate this intimate, unshakable relationship through communion. The scripture passage that we're about to read will help us better understand and appreciate this relationship we have with the Lord. It's jam-packed with life-changing truths. Let's read Solomon's prayer for Kyrielason, Lord have mercy, at the dedication of the temple. We'll begin in 2 Chronicles 6.36, and we'll read through 7. If they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin, and you are angry with them and give them to an enemy, so that they are carried away captive to a land far or near, yet if they turn their heart in the land to which they have been carried captive, and repent and plead with you in the land of their captivity, saying, we have sinned, and we have acted perversely and wickedly. And if they repent with all their mind and with all their heart in the land of their captivity to which they are carried captive, and pray toward their land, which you gave to their fathers, the city that you have chosen and the house that I have built for your name, then hear from, your, from heaven your dwelling place, their prayer and their pleas, and maintain their cause and forgive your people who have sinned against you. Now, O oh my God, let your eyes be open and your ears attentive to the prayer of this place. And now arise, O Lord God, and go to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. Let your priest, O Lord God, be clothed with salvation, and let your saints rejoice in your goodness. O Lord God, do not turn away the face of your anointed one. Remember the steadfast love for David, your servant." As soon as Solomon finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offerings 
and the sacrifices. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple, and the priests could not enter the house of the Lord, because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. When all the people of Israel saw the fire come down, and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed down with their faces to the ground on the pavement, and worshipped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Then the king and all the people offered sacrifice before the Lord. King Solomon offered a sacrifice of 22,000 oxen and 120,000 sheep. So the king and all the people dedicated the house of God. The priests stood at their posts. The Levites also with their instruments for music to the Lord that the king David had made for giving thanks to the Lord, for his steadfast love endures forever, whenever David offered praises by their ministry. Opposite them, the priests sounded trumpets, and all Israel stood. And Solomon consecrated the middle of the court that was before the house of the Lord, for there he offered the burnt offering and the fat of the peace offerings, because the bronze altar Solomon had made could not hold the burnt offering and the grain offering and the fat. At that time, Solomon held the feast for seven days, and all Israel with him, a very great assembly from Lebo Hamath to the brook of Egypt. And on the eighth day, they held a solemn assembly, for they had kept the dedication of the altar seven days and the feast seven days. On the twenty-third day of the seventh month, he sent the people away to their homes, joyful and glad of heart for the prosperity that the Lord had granted to David and to Solomon and to Israel, his people. All men's glory like the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Please pray with me. Lord God, we pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. Our Lord, our strength, and our Redeemer, through Jesus Christ. Amen. Two things to remember today. The first is that the temple, its history, its building, its dedication, was a way back into God's presence. It was a way to connect with Him. The second thing to remember for today is that in Jesus we have a better way back to God. He surpasses the temple in all ways. We'll start with the temple, which will take about three quarters of our time together. First, the history of the temple. Adam and Eve once walked in the Garden of Eden with the Lord God. Eden itself was a temple where man could interact with God. But when Adam and Eve sinned, they were cast out of the garden, out of God's presence. There was an angel with a fiery sword, a cherubim, that guarded the way back into God's presence. But of course, the Lord did not want all of humanity to be exiled from Him for always, to be estranged from Him. So the Lord started working through one man and his family, Abraham, showing him how to turn back to him for forgiveness and come back into his presence. By the time of our scripture reading, the Lord had been working through Abraham and his family for over a thousand years. During this time, a lot happened. The twelve sons of Israel, that's Abraham's grandson, went down into Egypt 
for 400 years, they came out as the 12 tribes of Israel. The Lord rescued them through the great Exodus story, signs and wonders that he brought down upon the land of Egypt, culminating with the Israelites walking through the Red Sea on dry ground with walls of water on either side of them. The Lord appeared to them in a pillar of smoke by day and fire by night in order to lead them through the Red Sea and through the wilderness for 40 years. This pillar of smoke and fire led them to Mount Sinai. And a cloud covered the mountain in thick darkness. Lightning flashed and thundered. Angelic trumpets blasted from heaven. And God spoke to all of Israel the Ten Commandments. They were so awed by the rumbling, thunderous voice of the Lord that the people were terrified of His presence. They told Moses, please go up on the mountain and hear the Lord's instructions, but we ourselves are not able to bear the word of the Lord. We will die. The old folks are having uh, heart attacks. The babies are wailing. We're all trembling in fear. They realized very wisely that they weren't able to come back into God's presence. Moses went back up onto the mountain. There he received the instructions, the extrapolation of the Ten Commandments. He also received from God detailed instructions on how to build the tabernacle, which is a tent temple. He received instructions for all the items for worshiping the Lord and coming safely back into His presence. There was an elaborate sacrificial system centered on the tabernacle and dealing with expiating the people's sins. There were two items in the tabernacle that were most important. First, there was the Ark of the Covenant. And this is the same Ark of the Covenant that Indiana Jones and the Nazis were after. This is a, a box about four feet wide, golden box, two feet high. Uh, inside of this ark was placed the two uh, tablets of the Ten Commandments and over which uh, the pillar of smoke and fire rested day and night. This was the symbol of God's holiness through the ark and through the, the Ten Commandments and also His presence among His people with the pillar of smoke and fire. Now as um, it was placed in the tabernacle, it was put in the innermost room, the most holy place, or sometimes referred to as the Holy of Holies. In fact, in order to get into this last room, there were two cherubim woven into the fabric of the curtain to remind the people that they were in the presence of God, just like when Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden, there was a cherubim to guard the way. So the priest would be reminded that they were approaching a holy God. These cherubim were also carved on the top of the Ark of the Covenant. It was reminding the people, sinful people, keep out lest you die. The second important part of the tabernacle was an altar that was on the outside. The Israelites would make burnt offerings and sin offerings there. The Israelites would place their hand on the head of an animal, and that symbolically transferred their sin to the animal, which would be punished, would be 
uh, sacrificed on their behalf. Burnt up on the altar. Now no one ate of these sacrifices except for a small portion for the priest as their payment because these burnt offerings, these sin offerings, uh, were a payment for their sin. But when they were offered rightly in faith, they would make the people right with God that they could be in His presence. Now afterwards, the people would offer fellowship offerings and peace offerings. And these fellowship offerings were different than the burnt offerings. They were designed to celebrate that now that the people's sins had been dealt with, they were able to have communion with the Lord. Their sins had been done away with, and they were in a right relationship, a close relationship with the Lord. They could enjoy a meal together, a big backyard barbecue. Only the blood of the animal, the fat and the kidneys, were burned up on the altar. All the meat was eaten by the people. Again, the tabernacle was a place where sinful people could come and be in the presence of a holy God. Now, as a sign that God was willing to meet with His people, that pillar of smoke and fire hovered always above the tabernacle. And again, the pillar led the Israelites through the wilderness and eventually to Canaan, the promised land, which is modern-day Israel. Once they got to the land, there was 400 years where the 12 tribes of Israel were a loose coalition, somewhat like the 13 colonies when America was founded. Due to military threats, they wanted a stronger, more centralized government. So they asked the prophet Samuel to ask the Lord for a king like all the other nations had that could lead them into battle. And the first guy they got was a buff warrior named Saul, a head and shoulders taller than everyone else, but he turned out to be a coward and a nutcase and rebellious against the Lord, as you shall learn as you go through 1 Samuel. So the Lord raised up a, a replacement for him, a man with a faithful heart, a man after his own heart, the shepherd boy, David. This is the famous David who killed the giant Goliath and later became King David. He was like a true-life King Arthur uh, who brought peace and justice to the land, but he had to fight for it every step of the way. Eventually, near the end of his reign, he was able to subdue all the Lord's enemies, all the rebellious nations around him. He even came up on top out of a civil war. He had peace on every side. And here we come to the building of the temple. Very soon after he had conquered his capital city of Jerusalem and was sitting in his palace, David thought to himself, The Lord has raised me up from being a lowly shepherd boy, sleeping out in the pastures with the sheep, to be king over all Israel. Here I am in this palace, but the Ark of the Covenant, the symbol of God's presence on earth, is in a tent. Me in a palace, the Lord in a tent? That's not right. And so he asked the Lord's prophet, can I build the Lord a royal house, a temple? The Lord answered him, David, that is great that you have that in your heart. I didn't ask for that, I don't need that, but it's great that you have that in your heart. But you're a man of war. You've got blood on your hands. I don't fault you for it. You had to do what you had to do to keep my people safe from their enemies. But you shed a lot of blood in the process. 
However, my tabernacle is a place of peace where men can have peace with me and with one another. So a man of peace needs to be the one that builds it. Let me make you a deal, David. David, uh, You wanted to build a house for me? Thank you. But how about this? How about I build a house for you? A great house. I'll build you a dynasty. Son after son after son will sit upon your throne into the ages. And I will adopt your son Solomon. He will be my son. How would you like that? For your son to be the son of God. And he will be a man of peace with peace on every side. He'll be the one to build my house, my temple. Now David was overjoyed at the Lord's proposed covenant with him. These covenant promises fueled the rest of his life. For the rest of his life, he was so excited about these covenant promises that he stored up riches galore for this temple. He stored 3,750 tons of gold, 37,500 tons of silver, then bronze and iron beyond weighing. There was so much of it. Fine timber and stone he provided. All this so that his son Solomon, who was very young at the time, would have the materials needed to build this magnificent temple for the Lord. And the Lord, by the Holy Spirit, also gave David the blueprints of how to build the temple, detailed instructions for every facet of the structure, which he faithfully passed on to Solomon. The Lord did, of course, keep his end of the deal. He adopted Solomon as his own and blessed him beyond belief. As a young man, Solomon prayed to the Lord and asked him for wisdom to rule his people well. The Lord was so pleased with that request that he answered Solomon's prayer and gave him wisdom beyond anyone on earth. He was the scholar, the scholar of the ancient world. 3,000 proverbs, 1,000 songs. The kings all around him sent their sons and their scribes to study at his feet. Not only did the Lord bless Solomon with wisdom, but far greater wealth than any of the kings in his age, billions in annual revenue. After four years of establishing himself as king, Solomon turned his attention to building the temple. He channeled his extravagant wealth to raising a magnificent structure for the, uh, to replace the tabernacle. He used nothing but the finest stones and timber. Now in building the temple, only stones already dressed at the quarry were, were used so that no hammer, chisel, or any other iron tool would be heard clanging at the temple site while it was being built. That it would be a sacred place, hollowed unto the Lord, even as it was being constructed. Solomon hired tens of thousands of workmen to complete the job. Woodcutters, stonecutters, masons, carpenters, all kinds of skilled craftsmen without number, skilled in working gold, silver, bronze, and iron. It took seven whole years to complete the temple, the most impressive building for a hundred miles in any direction. No expense was spared. Every square inch of the inside of the temple was overlaid in solid gold from top to bottom. The gold was crafted to look like palm trees and pomegranates. 
The inside of the temple was to look like a golden garden, reminiscent of the Garden of Eden, where God dwelt among men. Because its purpose was trying to restore the closeness, the intimacy between God and man. Well, the time had come to dedicate this awesome structure to the Lord, and that's our third subpoint. This was a momentous occasion. The whole nation of Israel gathered, all the tribal leaders, the clan leaders, everyone important. They assembled, thousands, uh, they assembled thousands of priests and Levites in a huge choir and orchestra. There were 120 trumpeters alone with crashing cymbals. It was a vast assembly of people, hundreds of thousands, perhaps millions. They chose to do it at the Feast of Tabernacles, the festival where they gathered to celebrate how the Lord had provided for them during the wilderness years. And it only made sense that now, as the Lord had provided them a homeland, had provided them homes for themselves, that they would in turn come to dedicate the Lord's home. The ceremony began with moving the Ark of the Covenant from the tabernacle, along with the tabernacle furnishings, up to the temple, the priest carrying it the whole way. Now, the tabernacle furnishings were tucked away in some storage room in the temple where the ark itself was brought up into the most holy place behind the curtain where the cherubim were. And they had thousands of sacrifices going on, so much so that the, the altar itself could not hold them. They made the whole courtyard full of altars. And the, all the people, as they brought up the ark, were singing, For he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. And it says, The house of the Lord was filled with a cloud, so that the priest could not stand to minister there, because the glory of the Lord filled the house with this Shekinah glory cloud. The same cloud that was like the pillar of smoke and fire that rested over the tabernacle as the Israelites went through the wilderness. And even more so, it was like that thick, dark cloud uh, that hovered over Mount Sinai with flashes of lightning. A cloud of thick darkness to hide the Lord's glory lest people should see His holy face and die. But even with the cloud, the people could feel the awesome weight of the Lord's presence. This priest through spiritual discernment or maybe even physical inability, their knees knocking together in terror, could not minister in the temple. It's up to Solomon to climb up on the platform and make the big speech. And he explains, this cloud behind me is a symbol of God's presence. Blessed be the Lord. He has fulfilled His promises to my father David and the people of Israel. He's provided David's son with peace on every side and stability so that I was able to build this temple just as he promised. The ark is here. We are in covenant with God. We are in his presence. So Solomon is saying, yes, it's great news for David, but it's great news for our entire nation because with me, the covenant son on the throne, God would continue to bless these people. They would continue to enjoy his protection. He's shown himself faithful to Israel by providing Solomon all the vast resources he needed to 
build this temple. And all the peace with the nations around in order to complete this project. And so when they looked at this temple, they could remember the Lord's love. They could remember the Lord's commitment to them, that He was protecting them, He was providing them for them. He was in a relationship with them. Now Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of the assembly of Israel, and he spread out his hands for God's people. And as, as he's about to pray, he's thinking about the enormity of this occasion, and he drops down to his knees. The king and master of ceremonies becomes a humble worshiper along with everyone else. And here's a summary of what Solomon prayed. It's very much a Kyrieleison kind of prayer. Lord God, there is no God who keeps His covenant promises like You do. I've made this magnificent temple for You to dwell in, but You're God, and You completely transcend this place. The highest heavens can't hold You, let alone this house. And so we realize that this temple is not so much where you are as where you can be reached. And I pray that you would allow yourself to be reached, to be found day and night. Anyone who calls on your name, who prays toward this place, would hear, you would hear their prayers. And we pray that you would hear our prayers in every situation when our leaders need to make just laws and find out who's guilty and innocent, that you'd help them in the judicial process that if nations rise up against us, that you would hear our prayers and rescue them, rescue us from them. And when we go astray and we sin in so many ways and so many times, that you would have to discipline us through being defeated by our enemies or droughts and plagues and famines, that we would turn from our sin and back to you, that we would confess your name and turn our eyes toward this temple, and that when your people do turn towards you, that you would hear our prayers and answer from heaven. Kyrieleison, Lord, have mercy. Hear our cries directed to this temple. And when you hear, forgive. Hear the prayers of your people offered on the temple grounds and wherever they are in Israel. Even if you have to exile us so much so as to exile us into a, a nation far away, that as we turn to you and lift our eyes to this temple, that you would hear those prayers and forgive. Kyrie Lord, have mercy. And Lord, hear even the prayers of the foreigner who isn't part of your people, but he hears of your great name. Even hear his prayer so that people everywhere, all the nations could come swarming into this temple, streaming into this temple. Kyrie Lord, have mercy. That's Solomon's prayer. And the Lord answered Solomon's prayer in an amazing way. As soon as he finished, there was fire from heaven. And we don't know if it was a lightning bolt or actually a pillar of fire. And it streaked down from heaven and whooshed all of the sacrifices. Naturally, the entire assembly, however many hundreds of thousands of people, bent with their faces to the ground. And they all shouted out, For He is good, His steadfast love endures forever. They were so excited about the Lord's response that they doubled the length of their feast from 7 to 14 days. This was a once in a millennia type event. The priests were blowing their trumpets, the Levites were singing and playing their instruments. It was a huge worship service, a revival, where everyone just wanted to worship 
the Lord with their heart, mind, and soul. And every day they had a gargantuan barbecue of peace offerings and, and fellowship offerings. 10,000 animals a day for 14 days. 22,000 oxen. 120,000 sheep. This might have been the biggest barbecue in all of history. Bigger than Memphis in May. They joyfully celebrated their relationship with the Lord with this two-week-long barbecue. They felt His blessings upon them until on the 15th day, tuckered out from all the festivities and fat as hobbitses from all the feasts, Solomon dismissed the assembly, joyful and glad. As great an event as this was, I want you to realize that as a Christian, you have been given something even greater. We have unparalleled communion with the Lord God. Let me quickly review all the ways in which Jesus has brought us a better, fuller salvation, fuller communion with God. First, we have a better son. In this passage, Solomon, the adopted son of God, is at his best. He's so wealthy, wise, worshipful. He's like a restored Adam, a, a new, better man worshiping the Lord with his whole heart. But yet he was not always wholehearted in this fashion. Adam's curse held its sway in his life. He disobeyed God's law by marrying many women. He had a harem of a thousand women, which speaks volumes about his spiritual life. And many of these women were foreigners who worshipped other gods. They led Solomon astray in his old age so that he used the royal treasury to pay for and even build temples to other gods where he himself worshipped. The Lord disciplined him by taking away two-thirds of his kingdom from his son. Unlike Solomon, Jesus was completely faithful to the Father in all ways for all his days, without the slightest wavering into sin. And he teaches true wisdom to, from on high. His words make us wise unto salvation. Not just earthly wisdom, but heavenly wisdom. Solomon built a temporary temple for the Lord with physical materials, and as glorious as they were, they weathered, they aged. They were eventually, the magnificent temple was cast down by foreign armies. But Christ has built a permanent temple, the church, because he has sent the Holy Spirit to live inside our hearts. Through Christ's resurrection power, we, the church, the temple, will last throughout the ages. Let me explain the temple more, how we are a better temple. The Old Testament worshipers could worship at the temple and they could pray to the Lord, but they always had to stand on the outside of it. Only the priest could go in and only the high priest once a year into that most holy place where the ark was and with a blood sacrifice. But when Jesus came to earth, he was God incarnate, so he was the true temple, the true house of God, a fuller, better temple. When he died and rose, he ascended into heaven, but he did not leave us without a temple. He sent the third member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, to live inside of our hearts so that now the Holy of Holies, uh, the most holy place, the Shekinah glory cloud of the Lord is now residing in our hearts. Do you remember on Pentecost, those of you who know your Bibles, 
how those tongues of fire came upon believers. Might we not better translate it pillars of fire that symbolized that the Holy Spirit, that pillar of smoke and fire was now inside their hearts, that they and us are the living stones of this new temple. Now we don't need a pillar of fire to flash down from heaven for us to know that the Holy Spirit is inside of our hearts because He burns like fire inside of our hearts, convicting us of our sin. And likewise, encouraging us that we can cry out, Kyrie Lord have mercy. And more than that, that we can cry out, Abba, Father. And He receives us as His sons and daughters. We have not only a better temple, but a better sacrifice. Every day, the normal priest had to make sacrifices. And we haven't really touched on the carnage that accompanied this celebration. But think of, uh, most of them were peace offerings, but some were burnt and, and sin offerings. And think about how many animals were slaughtered in order to make the people right with God. Literally, rivers of blood up to the ankles of the priests and Levites. They were red, covered in this blood. Why such carnage? It was to show us the repulsiveness of our own sin. We might not think of sin as such a big deal, but the Lord God does. And it shows how ugly the sins of the people are. uh, And it also shows the great lengths that God is willing to go to in order to bring us back into His presence. Now, the Ark of the Covenant itself was an altar. Once a year, the high priest would sprinkle the blood over the Ark that contained those Ten Commandments, God's holiness on earth, and it was to show that the blood of the animal covered over or made payment for all the transgressions to God's holy law that we had done. But the high priest had to do that every year. It was never-ending. Solomon offering these thousands of animals. The high priest offering the, the atonement every year. But Jesus offered Himself up as that once and for all sacrifice. That spotless Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. Forgiving His people for all time. And you know, in this episode that we've studied here today, there's a strong hint of Christ's coming. As the Shekinah glory cloud of the Lord filled the temple, the priests were not able to go in and make the sacrifices at the altar and make atonement. It was almost as if God was saying, I've got this. You all relax and celebrate. I'll provide the sacrificial lamb. I'll provide the atoning sacrifice for your sins. And the lamb that he provided was his son, Jesus. In short, we have a better way back to God. As an illustration, let me remind you of part of the ceremony in this uh, original dedication of the temple. They had all the tabernacle, the, the tent and the furnishings, and they brought it up along with the ark, and they stored it in some storage closet in the temple, never to be seen from or heard from again. Why? Because a newer, better temple was made. A newer, better way to God had been opened. 
In the same way, we do not need to worry about the temple or the ark because God, through Christ, through the Holy Spirit, has opened up this way of communion to us, a new and better way in Christ. As we celebrate communion, remember that it's a bloodless sacrifice. The bread and wine remind us that Christ's sacrifice was once and for all. No more old covenant, only the new covenant. This meal assures us because of Christ, we can cry out to the Lord. And when we cry out, He hears us. Wherever we are, whatever we have done, especially when we cry out, Kyrie eleison, Lord have mercy. And so if there is one application that you should come away with. It's to believe in this connection, believe in this better way that you have back to the Lord through Christ. To use it, to cry out to Him wherever you are, always, everywhere. Run quickly to the Lord for His grace and mercy.